We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Willie and Phil on August 15th, 1980. It was written and directed by Paul Mazursky, though largely based on Henri-Pierre Rocher's 1953 novel Jules and Jim, adapted by Francois Truffaut into a 1962 film of the same name and released by 20th Century Fox. The, the Truffaut film or this yes. film? This film was released okay. by 20th Century Fox. The other one was released by uh, Francie McFranceland. <laughs> 20th Century France. It's not a company. The parts of Willie and Phil were originally written for Woody Allen and Al Pacino. Uh, okay. Jesse was upset at how similar this movie was to Heartbeat, which is funny because not only did Ray Sharkey, Phil here, play Ira in that movie, the annoying third guy that was writing with them. Yeah. But John Hurd, Jack Kerouac from that film, was originally cast as Willie. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. Did he drop out when he realized that he was already in that movie? Probably. <laughs> but some trivia says he was fired. But uh, I had read dropped out. But they had started production. He had shot scenes for the movie before he was dropped. Oh, my God. But, the, but Harpy came out first. So I presume that it was shot first, which means he already knew he was in this exact same movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I, I came out with the small circle of friends too. Yes, which to was, me was already uh, the same as Heartbeat, though. Yeah, exactly. Like both these movies just blend together to the point where when they're telling their Vietnam, how they got out of Vietnam stories, is like, did that happen in Heartbeat or in Small Circle of Friends? Because I really can't remember. Yeah, or Willie and Phil. Or Willie and Phil. I don't well, know. They're, they're all three the same. They're. I mean, they're. Two guys and a girl love triangles that are period pieces because they have to be because you have to show how the relationship evolved over the course of a decade. But yeah, it's very similar to two movies that we've already covered. Margot Kidder and John Hurd met while auditioning for this film, and the two were very quickly married and also quickly divorced uh, while Kidder was overseas shooting Superman 2. They had separated six days after their wedding. Huh. We open the film on an art house theater with audio from Francois Truffaut's Jules and Jim playing. I noticed in the opening credits that Lawrence Fishburne is credited as Lawrence Fishburne the third. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've never noticed that before. Uh, sometimes I've seen him credited as Larry Fishburne. I think he gets that in Apocalypse Now, mm-hmm. which was the year before this. The audience applauds as they rise from their seats when the film ends, and the narrator tells us exactly what we're already watching happen. Willie and Phil met quite accidentally, coming out of an art house in Greenwich Village. And Phil brags to Willie that he just broke up with a beautiful girl and demands that Willie ask why. I find the narration in this film incredibly obnoxious. Yes. Yeah. Because I, they are telling you a exactly what you're seeing, but you it's it's completely unnecessary. Like at no point do we find out anything about these characters through narration that we don't that we that they couldn't have shown. Yeah. I think an interesting experiment would be, Pat, for you to just splice together all the narrations into your – so that would just be the review of the movie. Yes, exactly. It's, it's just, here, here's everything that happened in the yeah, movie I'll tell from you the right words here. of the narrator. And who who is the narrator? Because 
He, it's not one of the characters in the movie. It's not any of the characters in the movie. It's the writer-director of the film. Well, I, I looked for it at the end of the movie trying to figure out who it was because the narrator refers to all of the characters in the movie by their name. So unless they were speaking in the third person, it's none of them. And there is no credit in, right. at the end for the narrator. So I'm like, who the hell is this? I wonder if Tarantino was intentionally referencing this voiceover in uh, The Hateful Eight. Yeah. When he cuts in during the montage of them cleaning the cabin. And he's like, then they cleaned the cabin. <laughs> and that's the end of it. It's like, <laughs> why did you say that? Oh, yeah. yeah he, that, I, I hate that narration so much. And I think it's just because he's not in the movie. Yeah. And so he needed a reason to get himself into it in some way. Well, Heartbeat does the narration too, but at least it's in the voice of Kerouac, right? Yes. So No, and it's not Kerouac. Or no, sorry, it's the other character? Yeah, it's um what's her name? Loretta Lynn. No. <laughs> it is a it is an alliterative name though. Sissy Spacek. <laughs> no. <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy. What? <laughs> what is the other guy's name in that movie? It's Jack Kerouac and Leonardo. No, that's small circle. <laughs> Leonardo da Vinci. Why would Neil I that Cassidy. Name? Yeah, so Carolyn Cassidy. Okay. Which is why I said Kathleen Kennedy. It's something, <laughs> something in that neighborhood. It's I know it's not circle, Kathleen guys. Kennedy. <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy is the person who's uh, been stabbing Star Wars to death for a decade now. <laughs> Carolyn Cassidy is the one who did it because it's based on a book that she wrote. Oh, right, 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 right. Which is why it ends with. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> compromises Love are like, like dental appointments. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? Um, but yeah, it, I, I don't like voiceover. And even when it seems like it's almost a joke that he's not telling you anything that you're not seeing. But it's like it's not a funny enough joke to warrant it being in the movie. Just take it out and it'll be fine. But maybe it's just a reference to the way in French New Wave films you have a narrator come yeah, in. Yeah, I mean, I think that is definitely what it was. So I started to watch Jules and Jim. Jules, Jules and Jim. But because you're only forcing me to watch every movie that came out from 1980 onward, I stopped. Yes. <laughs> I was not into it. <laughs> I think the it's, I'm such a heathen. The only Truffaut film I've seen is Close Encounters of the Third Kind. There you go. Which he appears in. Phil brags to Willie that he just broke up with a beautiful girl and demands that Willie ask why. When he does, reluctantly, Phil says, because she wanted to get married. And then they shake hands. The two of them talk as they walk off into the night, and the narration reminds us that they are good friends with a similar sense of humor who both happened to hate the extremely unpopular Vietnam War and enjoy Francois Truffaut works. Willie and Phil became great friends. They shared a sense of humor, they hated the war in Vietnam, and they loved Truffaut. And Vietnam plays no part. Nope. The war, nothing. Nothing comes from this other than their stories of how they got out of the draft. Yeah. Willie was a teacher... Who wanted to be a musician and phil was a fashion photographer phil takes pictures of them together and they get very close to kissing for two best friends willie asks phil if they can't just call up a few models to have sex with like he gets an employee discount or something and then we cut to a woman leaving phil's bedroom in the morning redressing herself in another room of the same apartment the same thing is happening with willie so he must have actually just called up two models and been like yeah. hey come on down and have sex with us Later, they attend a sports game together, and when a man asks for change outside, Willie is quick to offer it. Phil seems very angry that Willie paid the man. We get the impression that Willie is at least a decent teacher when a student suggests that Hamlet procrastinated because he wasn't getting laid enough, and then when Willie presses him further, the student launches into the to-be-or-not-to-be speech, but goes much further than people normally do. Yeah. He continues for like four minutes. And I don't know why this represents him being a good teacher, though. Well, he, he clearly has... 
inspired students in his class this larry fishburne here is is doing a british accent to perform a large chunk of hamlet that he's memorized yeah if if he were a worse teacher i feel like his students wouldn't care that much about what he's trying to teach them and he also doesn't shoot down what he says is like crass or yeah he just says oh interesting like, criticism he, he, yeah, uh, yeah you know expand on that yeah i must say that's a, a new direction in shakespearean criticism wilson could you explain that just a little bit further sure thing i encouraging encouraging mind he was also smoking while he was in class but that's true um but it's cool to see uh you know tiny morpheus here <laughs> tiny morpheus <laughs> uh, we see a quick scene of phil during an interview for the draft for the vietnam war he's pretending to be incompetent and just repeatedly falling out of a chair he thinks he sold it but only time will tell uh time doesn't tell this never comes back they, they both pass the test of getting out of the war we get another quick scene of willie and phil in a bar talking to each other about their childhoods and for some reason mazursky is talking over the whole thing reciting the same words the characters are right on top of them it's actually pretty aggravating and i don't know why it's happening here a lot of the scenes in this movie don't advance the plot yeah they're just here's them together here here's them together it's here it's one of those lovely slice of life films that it i sh- didn't it- like the first two times i saw it it should, it should have been an hour and a half is what it should have been they should have been able to cut 25 minutes out of this stuff that doesn't have any bearing on the rest of the movie uh, willie shares the story of how he dodged the draft by posing as a gay person which i'm not sure he isn't yet uh, I, I think they pulled the same stunt in in the army now though when andy dick and and uh Polly shore pretended that they were gay and that that's why they couldn't go into the military and he's like kiss him excuse me kiss your friend you don't have a problem with that now do you oh no, no. he kisses me every day <clears throat> hot and chat (laughs) i guess we have to go to war now walking through the park willie and phil stake their claims on attractive women phil picks a blonde and willie sees margot kidder the blonde's boyfriend comes back an early film appearance by tom noonan yeah (laughs) and uh then margot asks willie if she can borrow the paper to find a movie he says foreign or domestic and she realizes that he's a buff and says why don't you pick one for me she introduces herself and mentions that she's lonely and wants to watch a movie with someone when Phil catches back up with them, Jeanette, the Margot Kidder character, invites him to join them for the film. It seems from the marquee that they went to see Beneath the Planet of the Apes, so maybe he's not so much of a film buff. <laughs> uh, I beg to differ. Okay. Uh, Jeanette comes back to their apartment with them and immediately starts planning their futures together. She wants everyone to pursue their artistic goals, and then she stands above them on the second floor of the apartment and tries on different careers. She starts as a teacher and then as a singer, and they all join in singing, What is this thing called love? The three of them somehow know that their lives are interlocked forever. We know this because the narrator said it. <laughs> like ten times in the whole movie. And then Jeanette says it using the exact same words. Their destinies interlocked forever. I think our destinies are interlocked forever. Uh, the next day, Willie and Phil sit down to play chess in the park, and with each move, mention out loud something they like about Jeanette. By the end of the game, which Willie wins, Phil seems to have accepted that Jeanette belongs to Willie, and assures Willie that a woman could never be- a, a woman could never come between two friends if they are true friends. When they meet back up with Jeanette, Willie and Phil both accuse each other of loving her, and she simply says, No. Obviously, she takes issue with the implication that they would decide who she belongs to if she belongs to anyone. Jeanette mentions very nonchalantly that she's losing her apartment soon and needs a place to stay, 
Willie and Phil both offer their places rent-free, no strings attached. She borrows a coin from a homeless man <laughs> to flip and make the decision. Yeah, this was really a weird moment. Yeah. Just like, first of all, I didn't know why, why she was going up to him. She's like, excuse me, excuse me, sir. But like, and then it became clearly obvious that this was a homeless man because he pulls out like a bottle of Yeah, he's booze. like, you want a sip too? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, of all the people you could borrow a coin from, why'd you pick this dude? And she doesn't even give it back. She puts it in her pocket. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think we even see her after uh, that. Less money for him to spend on booze. That's true. Willie wins, and uh, while they're moving Jeanette's stuff into Willie's apartment, Phil mentions that he's got a hot date lined up for tonight because he doesn't want to look like a loser. Uh, Willie says, oh, well, why don't we all go to a movie? And Phil says, eh, we'll play it by ear because I don't think he had a date lined up. He just didn't want them to feel guilty about him losing the, the coin flip. Almost as soon as Phil is gone, Jeanette points out that in this arrangement, sex was going to happen sooner or later, and that if it's okay with you, it's okay with me. It was bound to happen sooner or later, so uh, we might as well make it happen sooner. It's clearly okay with Willie, because he's immediately stripping. And before they get into it, she makes him promise that he'll never tell her that he loves her. He will only love her. But I think he does say that he loves her later in the movie. Six months later, why are we jumping so far? Six months later, Willie and Jeanette were both employed, splitting the rent, and bird owners. Things are moving quickly. At a bar over drinks, Willie tells Phil... That living with a woman is like living with your mother, except for the sex. Phil jokes, You don't know my mother. I don't know what that means. I think it means he had sex with his mom. Is that what that means? <laughs> I think he's joking. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, that is what it meant. Phil shares with Willie a plan that he's considered dropping acid. The three of them take acid at Phil's place and then pose for a before picture, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, after an hour of nothing happening, they assume that they've just been ripped off. And they head to go see Beyond the Valley of the Dolls from 1970. And they are stoned enough to get thrown out of the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, if you've seen this movie, you have to be real stoned <laughs> to get thrown out of Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. I was actually surprised by the audience in that theater. I was like, this doesn't seem like These the These are the right wrong people. people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> when we get back to Phil's place, Jeanette is crying and demanding to be taken to her home. Yeah, she's having a bad trip. Yeah. But they lead her into this other place anyway. Suddenly, Jeanette catches her reflection in a mirror and freaks out because her hands are flying away. Willie offers her a drink, apple juice, since he couldn't find her tea, and she throws the cup at the wall and demands her hands back. They start to have a three-way here on acid, and Willie walks away from it to play a piano in the corner of the room and score a lovemaking session for the other two. The acid made Willie happy to see his friends make love. We know this because of the voiceover, and not because we saw him take acid and then smile while his friends made love. <laughs> Willie was beginning to feel the drug. It was beautiful. And watching Phil and Jeanette make love made Willie feel very happy. Over breakfast, Jeanette and Phil both try to apologize for having sex the night before, and Willie isn't hearing it. Willie hears ya. Willie don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Jeanette says she can't promise it won't happen again, and he says, promise me you won't make any promises. Phil is devastated by what he did, but they insist it's all cool. We flash forward a whole year, and Jeanette is working as an assistant film editor, which is what I do, but she's doing it on an old school flatbed like I had to do in school to prepare me for something. Who knows? (laughs) Phil has transitioned into directing for film commercials, specifically dog food at the moment. Dog food! Which is not the first behind the scenes of a dog food commercial we've seen this year. Because Ann Archer was producing a dog food commercial in Hero at Large. Willie discovers yoga and buys a car, a convertible bug. He's making the least progress of the three. Yeah. For now. Forever. 
he never learned to drive, so Phil was always in charge of parking his car until Willie figured it out. The threesome head into the woods for a picnic. Jeanette talks about her salesman father. They lived in a trailer. They had a pet king snake. None of this matters. <laughs> <clears throat> Willie leaves for a moment. Phil and Jeanette chat until Willie shouts that he found water for them to go skinny dipping in. It's a whole fucking lake. He's like, oh, look, I found some water. Like, he found, like, a discreet swimming hole. It's like, no, that's, like, a great lake, practically, mm-hmm. what you found. Um, and they all go he skinny dipping. Lake Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> I call this Lake Michigan. Uh, I was not expecting to see Margot Kidder boobs in this movie, but here they are. Uh, <laughs> Willie introduces Jeanette to his parents, and Mom wants to know when they're getting married. Uh, she grabs a plate from the table behind her and offers something off of it to Jeanette. And when she says, what is that? She says, it, it's just one of our foods. <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? Just I, say what it is. I, I imagine it's a traditional Jewish yeah, food. But she, it makes me think it's poison. It's like, oh, this is just one of our foods. Try food. <laughs> Have you had food? Well, because if she knows what's in it, she might not want it. And why is she keeping it on like a separate table so that no one else accidentally eats it? The three lead characters sing What Is This Thing Called Love Again? They head with Jeanette to Kentucky to meet her family, or I guess just Willie does. And right away, Jeanette's sister is hitting on Willie hard. I got all the Jewish bars in New York City. This cute. Where should I put my bags? You put it in my bedroom. Jeanette's mama is on the same page as Willie's. Urgent but understanding. I know things are different these days. Jeanette and Willie walk out to a barn, and she tells them the story of how her uncle lost some of the land gambling. Again, None of this matters. Was it her uncle or her dad? I think she said her uncle lost it. Yeah. Which I think meant her dad won it from him. Because they never explained how they got it back. No, because she said he worked three years to get it back. I thought she was talking about her dad having a bad gambling problem. Was it her uncle? It was her uncle because she said her uncle built the place, I think. Unless I got it wrong. It doesn't matter. Uh, She turns to Willie and says, it's time to make a baby. I want a little girl. We fast forward eight months. And Jeanette and Willie have decided to marry on the verge of their child's birth. The minister has a stutter here, but luckily no phone at the front of the church. (laughs) At a small wedding reception, just Willie, Phil, Jeanette, and her sister, Phil announces that he got a job in California doing commercials for big bucks. Jeanette reminds him that, as she predicted the day they met, their fates are intertwined forever, and they all still love each other. Her sister is very confused at exactly how this relationship works, though. They sing their bad song again. And Phil leaves with her sister. Are they a thing now? And then we cut to, you know, you're the first Italian I've ever slept with. So I guess so. I guess yeah. this is a, but then it's over in this scene. Mm-hmm. She asks Phil uh, if their relationship is incestuous because of his relationship with her sister. And when he says no, she's like, all right, well, then why aren't we still having sex? We cut to a taxi with the three leads in the back. And Jeanette is reminding them. Zelda. If it's a girl and Webster's boy, okay? Because she's in labor now and doesn't expect to survive the birth. Uh, in the hospital room with a healthy baby, Phil records the moment with a large film camera, even panning across to the new mother they're sharing the room with for a moment. She's playing along with it rather nicely, though. I would have been like, don't film me, please. Yeah. <laughs> what is this for? The baby is a girl, Zelda. Phil leaves and Jeanette starts crying. She says, as soon as we get home, I'm going to take violin lessons. Cut to that winter, snow is piling up outside and bad violin music fills the air. Ten months later, Willie quits his teaching job to become a farmer. They ask the baby if it's okay, and the baby says no. And they do it anyways. (laughs) Uh, Willie asks for a year trial for their crops to come in, like he has any idea what he's talking about. They go for it. Almost a year later, 
Willie is weaving ponchos on a loom. On a loom, <laughs> on the loom of fate, and expects to finish two a week for a grand total of fifty to sell before the summer when their crops come in. Jeanette informs him that he and Zelda will be gone by then. <laughs> You're not taking my kid anywhere. She wants to go anywhere that there's people, and Willie puts up a small fight before acquiescing, and she asks, Don't you ever tell anybody I made you leave? She's she's not making him come. She's like, We're gonna go. You can come with us if you want. You can stay here and do this if you want. Because she doesn't want to be forcing him. They decide to move their family to California to visit Uncle Phil. Phil is now a Hollywood type. Yeah. They're moving with Uncle Phil in Bel Air. No, he's, he's in Malibu. Phil's a Hollywood type now with an insane beach house in Malibu. He rises from a hot tub to complain about the business. And he and his girlfriend slash wife address each other as mommy and daddy, which is weird. I guess things didn't work out with Jeanette's sister because she's just gone. Phil invites them to stay for a year because he has no money problems. They run out onto the beach where they notice Natalie Wood walking her dog. Phil rushes to introduce them. This was, of course, Natalie Wood's final film appearance yeah. where she filmed her whole role. She was in a movie called Brainstorm in 83 that she died during the production, so they didn't finish filming her parts. But the last fictional character she played was in Last Married and, Couple. And what is the purpose of this appearance? Just, just to show that he's hollywood and has these right. connections i mean but what's the purpose of any of this movie richard no it, it's just it's just such an odd get it's like oh you know we're gonna have natalie wood be the actress who's gonna be on this beach i think they just wanted to hit another los angeles stereotype uh to, to try and differentiate the locations another year passes and jeanette is working for phil as an editor again Willie is a stay-at-home dad with baby Zelda. And losing his mind. Yeah, he's going crazy now. Uh, he's riding his bike through Venice with Zelda, uh, teaching her about reincarnation. And animal noises. Yeah. Like, like what, if we, what if we just stop being people? <laughs> he's just like, oh my like, God, you have a dad, child. Dad, how many of you? those stamps did you eat? <laughs> <laughs> because cause then he meets Rena on the... On the on a bench which i think was phil's girlfriend wife yeah earlier from yeah. earlier yeah but i think they're separated now yeah and, and she's oh we're going to maui he's like yeah i'm yeah. gonna do that he's like that sounds great now we're birds we're flying to maui and then we just cut to them at home and he's like yeah we're gonna go to we're gonna move to this commune and in maui and it's like no we the two of us have jobs we can't just quit and go to a commune in maui he, he keeps getting like distracted by things and just completely like going into his own world yeah like he doesn't exist with them anymore and it's like yeah. oh man is this how the movie's gonna go is this that he's gonna descend into madness yeah is he the haddocks of this film yeah is I was he like, gonna what? blow up a house at the end willie moves to maui and Jeanette and zelda stay with phil although this time mazursky's unnecessary narration actually threw me off because on my first pass i thought he said willie moved to maui Jeanette and zelda moved to maui like they went with him <laughs> and then i listened to it again i was like oh he said malibu mm, but it sounded yeah. the same so. yeah. <laughs> um, the next shot is Jeanette, zelda and phil in los angeles still which is why i had to back it up they're reading a letter from willie who explains that living on a commune was too complicated <laughs> isn't that the opposite of why you moved to a commune so he moved to india instead where everything's very simple yeah it seems like he didn't want to go to places where there was a lot of people. Yeah. And let me tell you, going to Calcutta, India is not where you go when you don't want to be around a lot of people. Yeah. So we cut to him in India for like five seconds, which is a lot of production work for two shots that don't say anything more than this letter did. Have we been led to believe that he would lie about this in the letter? 
Because otherwise, just have it say it in the letter that he well, went to it's India. E- it was probably easier just to have a camera crew and not have to have sound crew. But Willie went there. Like, the actor who played yeah, him yeah, was there but, in India. But that's what I'm saying. Like, they like they, they probably didn't want to spend too much time there with yeah, a crew. But, but they also could have spent a couple hundred bucks on some B-roll. Yeah. <laughs> or not even gone there and just read the letter and said, I'm in India now. Oh, okay. I believe the or, letter. Or have the narrator say he's in yeah. India. Right. <laughs> Would the narrator have a purpose? <laughs> Back in L.A., Jeanette is in bed doing coverage on a script that she doesn't like, it seems. Phil mentions that his parents will be visiting soon and offers to get them a hotel for the visit. Jeanette is being a dick about it, pretending that Phil is embarrassed or a prude because he doesn't want to fight with his parents about them living in sin. Every time he says anything, no matter how clear he's being, she asks, What are you saying, Phil? Until he finally flips his shit. Where did you learn that? From those dikey film chicks of yours? Now it's her turn to flip on him, and the rest of the scene is useless. They they talk a lot, but they don't actually say anything. Well, and and the worst part, the the most frustrating part about this is that he was right. Yeah, yeah. That in bringing his parents there was a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. Phil drives his parents home from the airport, and they ask where all the people are for whatever reason, having expected the freeway to be crowded with pedestrians. Uh, Phil says that they're inside making big deals. Woof. I can't deal with the rest of this scene. Phil's mom basically admits that they hate him for not having kids. But we're ashamed! We're ashamed! Oh my god, my head's gonna come off! It feels like a balloon! Mama, stop it! We're here on a vacation! And they didn't come to visit. They just wanted to tell him how embarrassed they are. No fucking way these people would ever see my house if I was driving. Right back to the airport with you shits. (laughs) (laughs) Stupidly, Phil brings them home, where Jeanette breaks the news that Willie is visiting tomorrow like it's good news and not a total nightmare. The scene before this, where Jeanette is pissed at Phil for getting his parents a hotel, felt really forced for some reason, and I realize now it was just to force this uncomfortable scene. Jeanette is the only person in the room who totally deserves the lecture from Phil's mom because she practically begged Phil to bring her here. A dollar says she's mad at Phil later for not standing up for her. Mom demands to be taken back to the airport and for some reason anyone objects. Uh, The only person who doesn't is the woman who asked for this and then mom slaps Phil. These people don't even deserve a ride back to the airport. Just call them a cab. Jeanette, Phil, and Zelda head to the docks to pick up Willie. Apparently, he shipped over from Hawaii, where he returned to be a guest at Rena's wedding. Phil looks hurt by Rena's marriage. Like, he gives, like, this, like, huh, she got married? And that never plays a part in anything. Nope. It's the last we hear of this character. We didn't even need to see her at all. He could have just been coming back from India. I don't understand why any of this is happening. Because it was in the book. Willie tells them about all the other boring stuff he did around the world, seeking the answer to life. No, the, the narrator tells us. Oh, right. Well, he's telling us also. <laughs> yeah. At the same time. That's what's so great about this narrator. The, narr- the narrator never says anything that no one else is saying at the same time. <laughs> they tuck Zelda in, and Phil remarks on his worry that their situation is confusing the kid. Jeanette counters with her standard, What are you saying, Phil? And Phil turns to Willie and says, You should learn a new phrase while you were gone. <laughs> and that's like my favorite line from him in this whole movie where he's like oh yeah she keeps saying this now the three of them argue about which of the three of them must leave for some reason like well it's obvious that one of us has to go who's it going to be phil and willie both want to leave on their own and they want to leave the other guy with her Jeanette thinks well maybe we should all split up and for some reason that doesn't please everybody even though both guys clearly want to leave eventually they decide to ignore everyone's wishes and stay together to have confusing circular conversations 
Uh, we get a straight repeat of the scene from Heartbeat where everyone says goodnight in a triangle and we don't know until it happens which man will join the woman in bed tonight. They both decide to stay on the floor. Yeah, and this is where the rest, the rest of my notes are all ending question marks. Yeah. Like, do they do they have sex? Because he like gets naked and turns off all the lights like he's embarrassed. Like he doesn't want anyone else to see what they're about to do. I don't know what's going no, on No, I don't think they do. I think they're just sleeping. Are they not a couple? No. Like at the end of this movie? No. No. No? Oh my goodness. I, I, I read a lot of different subtexts into this movie then. <laughs> they go on... A bunch more three-way dates, tandem bikes, hot tubbing, beach jogging, Xanaduing in a parking lot. Uh, we learned that <laughs> – that means roller skating. I know. I know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> we learned that it has become their routine that Jeanette goes to bed first and that the guys skinny dip and chat every night. They both seem to want desperately to leave and to stay with her and to stay with each other. But see, but then they watch her undress yes. while they're in the hot tub together. Very longingly. And then they both... This and they p- silently contemplate jerking each other off <laughs> in the <laughs> yes, hot tub. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm saying, I'm saying this, this is like, like no, this, this is just their romance. Yes, it for the, sure is. It, it was it was Willie and Jeanette and then Phil and Jeanette and now it's Willie and Phil. Yeah, but my, my note here is, but here the narration decides not to spell things out too much. <laughs> The next morning, Jeanette shares a dream that she had last night. She rode a pony away from her dad real fast. (laughs) (laughs) She tells them that this means she's taking Zelda to New York and leaving them both. She leaves, and they both fight in the waves, unfortunately stopping short of killing each other. And this is where I got mad. This is the end of the movie. (laughs) I was like, if this movie ends with them killing each other, fine. Great. Great. Good job. I totally agree. I, I would like, have loved that. Oh my god! Please have them kill each other for no reason, and then this movie will have been brilliant. Yeah. But now other stuff happens, and none of it matters or makes any sense. This is basically the end of the film. But we get another year later. Needlessly, yeah. Phil and Willie are both back in New York, where she is. Uh, Phil is filming commercials. And Willie is teaching again. And we see Zelda's birthday party, now with three dads. And the third one is Igor, a Russian immigrant <laughs> from a film that Jeanette is working on. The end. Why, no, why was that? It's not just a film that she's working on. She's working on Moscow on the Hudson. Yeah. <laughs> Which is Paul Mazursky would direct Moscow on the Hudson yeah. with Robin Williams. But it's still, it's this didn't need to be tacked on to the end. No, I just, just a point of trivia. Yeah, but the, it's not like... At the end of this movie, I was really wondering what happened to these characters. It's well, like, I don't care. Well, I don't, I don't nar- like any of these people. Yeah, but then the narrator says, and this is, where, again, where I got confused. It says, eventually, Willie and Phil got married. It's like, to each other? Well, no, because then they also say he had kids. Yeah, well, okay. Like, can gay couples not have kids? They're not allowed to get, uh, it depends. In the 1980s, maybe not. Mm. Our director here was Paul Mazursky. Uh, he directed Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, obviously also featuring natalie wood uh, he also directed harry and tonto next stop greenwich village an unmarried woman down and out in beverly hills moon over parador and he was the narrator in this film for some reason the novel was by henri pierre rocher uh, he was the author of the jules and jim book he also wrote a book called two english girls is the english uh, translation of the title uh, in 56 which was also adapted by Truffaut. our cinematographer here was sven nyquist he is very celebrated cinematographer. He has Oscars for Fanny and Alexander and Cries and Whispers, both for Ingmar Bergman. He also lensed 
Unbearable Lightness of Being, The Postman Always Rings Twice, Chaplin, Sleepless in Seattle, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, so a lot of good stuff. Michael Ontkeen was Willie Kaufman. He played Ned Braden in Slapshot. He was Sheriff Harry S. Truman on Twin Peaks. Yeah. Margot Kidder was Jeanette Sutherland. She plays Barb in Black Christmas. She's Kathy Lutz in the first Amityville Horror. And she's probably best known for playing Lois Lane in mm -hmm. the Superman movies for Richard Donner. Ray Sharkey was Phil D'Amico. We had him as Ira in Heartbeat earlier this year, and he'll be back later this year as Vincent Vicari in The Idolmaker. Jan Minor was Mrs. Kaufman. She plays Sally Marr in Lenny. She's uh, Mother Superior in Mermaids. Julie Bavasso was Maria D'Amico. Uh, she played Flo in Saturday Night Fever, which I'm assuming is the mother of the John Travolta character. And she was Rita Kapamaji, the mother of Cher character in Moonstruck. Moonstruck. I hated that movie. Uh, she was also Vinny's mom in My Blue Heaven. Uh, Louis Gus played Salvatore D'Amico. And he plays Raymond Kapamaji in Moonstruck. So I think these are both of Cher's parents from Moonstruck yeah. playing Phil's parents in this mm -hmm. movie. Um, just, they just generally play Italian stereotypes. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, he, the father also played a news vendor in Highlander. Uh, Kaki Hunter played Patty Sutherland, who is uh, Jeanette's sister. She was Lola Buya Bass, Rhodey's girlfriend in Rhodey. And she was also Wendy in all three Porky's movies. And she's adorable. Uh, but she's not in very much of this movie. Christine DeBell played Rena. She was AL in Meatballs. She's Alice in 1976's Alice in Wonderland and X-rated musical fantasy. And she was also Nancy in Battle Creek Brawl, which is actually just a couple movies down the line for us. Lawrence Fishburne, or Lawrence Fishburne III, was Wilson. He's Morpheus from The Matrix. He's Tyrone Miller in Apocalypse Now. Cowboy Curtis on Pee-wee's Playhouse. Bowery King in the John Wick movies. And Dr. Bill Foster, Black Goliath in the MCU. I, I also want to include him as uh, the character from the Hannibal series. Oh, okay. Uh, Jack Crawford. Um, we have Jerry Hall in here as Karen. I don't remember who Karen was. No. Uh, she played Alicia in Batman. Uh, we've discussed her before. She was a newswoman in Free Jack. And she also made her feature film debut in Urban Cowboy earlier this year as one of the sexy sisters. Helen Hanft was a used car salesperson. She played Miss Helberg in License to Drive. She was Lottie in Moonstruck, our third Moonstruck person. And she was also Perry's wife in Arthur. Soul Frider was psychiatrist number two, and he played Rabbi Glassberg in Simon earlier this year. Jill Mazursky played Jill. I don't know who Jill is. Uh, um, I'm imagining that must be, since it's a Mazursky, I'm wondering if it's the girl who was babysitting. Well, that would make sense. Uh, it, Jill Mazursky is the daughter of the director, mm -hmm. so it would it would be it stands to reason that his daughter would play the babysitter here. Um, she's also uh, written and produced. She wrote and produced Gone Fishing with Danny Glover and Joe Pesci, yeah. a movie I saw in theaters and actually enjoyed. Donald F. Muhich or Muhick uh, was psychiatrist number one. He appears in five movies. Four of them are Mazursky, and the fifth one is Amazon Women on the Moon. Robert Townsend was Thin Boy. I don't remember Thin Boy, but we just had him in Fu Manchu. Not really, but a character <laughs> named Robert Townsend. Uh, he wrote and directed Hollywood Shuffle. He was one of the baseball furies in The Warriors. He played Manny in Sandra Locke's Rat Boy. <laughs> and he also starred as Jefferson Reed in The Meteor Man, which he also wrote and directed, the first black superhero film. Tom Noonan was Man in Park. This is the boyfriend who quickly reclaims his girlfriend after 
uh, Phil starts talking to her. This was his first feature film role. Uh, he's the Ripper in Last Action Hero. Yeah. He plays Kane in RoboCop 2, and he's Kelso in Heat. Is, isn't he everybody <laughs> in uh, that uh, Charlie Kaufman film? Oh, is he? Uh, Synecdoche? No, no, no. The, uh, the, the stop motion one. Oh. Yeah. Anomalisa. Uh, is, yeah. Isn't he the voice of everybody? I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> He does the voice of every character in uh, Anomalisa. Uh, Natalie Wood was Natalie Wood. Uh, we said before, this is technically her final film where she shot all of her scenes, her one scene. Uh, and we had her earlier this year in Last Married Couple. John Lonoff played bearded yoga student. Uh, this is one of four uncredited roles this year after a party guest in Just Tell Me What You Want, a Rocky Horror fan in Fame, and... Uh, a hippie in Battery Park in The Exterminator later this year. Marianne Mueller-Lyle played moviegoer. Uh, she was the wrong Sarah in Terminator. That's the woman who gets shot at, at her front door. Um, she also plays Helga in Norbit and Woman in Line in Hero at Large. Douglas Rowan played Frankenfurter in Line when they're going past the Rocky Horror Show. And he's the same Frankenfurter from fame. Yeah. He probably is just... The one in Times Square, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, uh, Eddie Williams, or Edie Williams, was Ashley. Uh, she's in Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, the movie that they watched in this movie. Uh, she's also, or maybe that's maybe that's literally just like, crediting the person crediting, who was in the movie. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, obviously she's in Beyond the Valley of the Dolls because that's what she's featured in in this movie. She's Emmanuel in Bad Girls from Mars, and she played Isabella in Nudity Required, which is a great one. If you haven't seen it um yeah this movie is hard to watch i think it's actually really on par though with the two movies that it reminds me of because it's just three people that i i couldn't stand in real life <laughs> yeah i i i like this the least of those three yeah i'm struggling with it i i feel like heartbeat was at least interesting to me because it was based on real people uh and small circle of friends i felt like the vietnam war uh and things like that had a little bit more to play in domestic terrorism like there was there was there was like higher stakes i didn't feel like there was any stakes in this movie like like they 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 don't seem to be happy or unhappy to be with or without each other yeah like they they keep saying how they're 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 like i'll go no i'll go yeah it's like okay well then there's no conflict nobody cares yeah it's so great i don't know i still because right now and i keep moving it i keep putting it up and down my list because right now i have it between the two so it's it's smack in the middle because i really didn't like a small circle of friends yeah and I'm trying to figure out what it was about that movie that I didn't like as much as this one. And I think that this one was just, a, a narration aside, a more capably made movie than sure. A Small Circle of Friends. I think the dialogue was at least good. Yeah. So I, I think I liked it better in that respect. I like the acting better in this movie than A Small Circle of Friends for sure. Um, but it's, it's, it's frustrating how similar all three of these movies were and not not great yeah for me it's a down and it's going right between roadie and a honeysuckle rose yeah it's i mean it's it's a down for me and i think i have it a little higher than that but not terribly high i have it above 
how to beat the high cost of living and below holy moses okay oh mine's in uh 70th place now uh interesting i have mine at 68 uh so pretty close but uh it's it's bookended by uh just below holy moses and just above Cheech and chong it's in 77th place for me between roadie and honeysuckle rose out of 100 movies hey look at that boom we 100th did 100th movie this is our 100th episode if you don't count our patreon exclusive episodes so which we don't ever nobody <laughs> counts them nobody listens to those <laughs> uh we have watched 100 movies from one, one year, year. <laughs> by itself that's ridiculous why do we do that i don't know and we're still going let's do another 80 <laughs> <laughs> This was a silly it, idea. Which is crazy that there's 80 more movies <laughs> that come out between August in August and the last couple end of the year. Yeah, there it gets heavy. It's it, and December is ridiculous. October and December, I think, both have huge numbers. All right, so, buckle up. Here we go. I think that's everything for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where, as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show, and if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through Patreon.com slash VintageVideoPodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing The Octagon, which IMDb describes like so. A martial artist must defeat a plan by ninjas to create a worldwide training camp for terrorists. We leave you now with a trailer for The Octagon. No one will admit they still exist. Efficient killers who work in silence, secrecy, darkness, unholy masters of terror by magic. The man he once called brother is now his deadly enemy. He must find the strength to become everything he hates. I wanted you because you could succeed. I need your help. The professional who wants targets. If you saw ninjas, you're seeing ghosts. An heiress okay. who wants revenge. I want to know who they are. I know who they are. Everybody wants something from him. A prisoner of his own destiny. He will find freedom only one way. You don't torment me anymore, Sakura. Karen Carlson, Lee Van Cleef, the Octagon. No one will admit they still exist.